Hey, if you have a Bibles, and I hope you do, I want you to turn your Bible to the epistle of 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, it's an emotional week for the Thomasellis because this week, two years ago, I resigned from my position at Ohana Church in Hilo, Hawaii, and we moved here to Tennessee, and the first church we came to and we stayed was y'all, First Baptist Church. So thank you so much for being a Ohana, a family to the Thomaselli Ohana. We've seen two of our younger children uh, come to faith in Christ here in Tennessee and who are baptized here in this church. So God is continually reminding me that he's a good God. All right, he's a good God and he continues to move mightily. I want to share a story with you real quick, all right? Uh, I was 18 when I joined the ministry. I was saved at 18. One month later, the church had the audacity to make me their youth pastor. And the first thing I realized I needed to do was I needed to get to know um, the parents. And so we had a parent event, and we were sharing. There came a time in this event where we were sharing about the most embarrassing moment of our lives. And one of the fathers came up and bravely said, Brother Zeke, it was a rough day. And I decided to go jack in the box to get me a plain cheeseburger. So I ordered my plain cheeseburger through the drive-thru. I get to the window. I get my cheeseburger. I drive down the parking lot, stop there, and I got my cheeseburger out of the bag. And lo and behold, that cheeseburger wasn't plain, bro. Lettuce, tomato, mayonnaise, mustard, the works. And I, did I just tell you I had a bad day, Brother Z? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, then, and so I said, well, I wasn't far away from Jack in the Box, so I turned around, and I went back to Jack in the Box. I speed through the drive-thru, and I let that cash register window lady know what I was feeling. And I'll, now let, let me tell you, Brother Zeke, it wasn't very Christian. Can I get a witness out there, right? It wasn't very Christian. <laughs> and so he said, you didn't give me one, my plain cheeseburger. I got lettuce. I got tomatoes. I got all everything on this. You did not give me what I ordered. And the lady, as sweet as she could be, said, sorry, sir, this is Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> you see, KFC was next door to Jack in the Ball. And he was so mad that he didn't realize he didn't pull up to Jack in the Box. He pulled up to KFC. And this is what he told us. And so I'm known as the guy who snapped at a KFC worker for a loaded burger from Jack in the Box. Brother Zeke, that's, that's what I'm known for, right? Well, let's be honest in this room today. Saints of God, beloved, what are you known for? I want you to think about your life right now. What are you known for? If I ask your spouse, your kids, and your co-workers that question about you, what would they say? You see, this is a great question because the Apostle Paul helps clarify how Christians should live based on his words to young Pastor Timothy. And if you're ready, say, I'm ready. Well, then stand with me and let's read the reading of God's Word. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. The Word of the Lord says this. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote 
yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see what, everybody? Your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Father in heaven, we ask you that you would cut our hearts this morning, both save and non-save, that God in this room, your Holy Spirit would manifest himself on us through the preaching of your word. God, may your word be all authoritative, may be inerrant, may be all-powerful. God, may it be sufficient for the hearers this morning, for the far and for the near. God, we ask you that you would get all the glory and all the praise that you deserve and you are due for. In Jesus' name we pray and we say, Amen. You may be seated. I've entitled my message today, Leading by Example. And here's the idea from our text today. For today, the passage here, the Apostle Paul encourages young Pastor Timothy to be known by how he lives his life. And he, he, beloved, we've heard this biblical truth for some time, at least since I've been here, that it matters, help me out, how you live your life. I don't speak from a platform of perfection, not at all, I'm not perfect, but thank God I'm not the man I was 21 years ago. People know Coach Zeke, people know Pastor Zeke, people know Daddy, Husband Zeke. You don't know Zeke before I came to Christ. And I thank God that I've had great men in my life to teach me what it looks like to live this life of faith. Therefore, in 1 Timothy 4, 11 to 16, Paul gives Timothy three clear examples of how every believer should live their lives. And I want, you, I want to give you these biblical truths right up front, and then I'll explain them on the way. First off, believers should be known for what they say. Secondly, believers should be known for what they do. And thirdly, believers should be known for what they believe. Now, there's some tension in these verses if you didn't see it. In verse 11 and 12, Paul gives some of this tension to Pastor Timothy. He says in verse 11, command and teach these things. That's the first tension, right? Here's the second tension. Let no one despise you for your youth. Beloved, I know I'm the youth guy, right? I know for this season in my life, right, I'm called to shepherd teenagers, right? And, and, and listen to me. That's my calling, that's my vocation, and that's my honor. However, this message today is not just for teenagers. This message today is for every single soul in this room. The Lord has something significant to say for all ages today, and you're here because God wants to speak to you. So Timothy has a calling, Timothy has a vocation, and Timothy has the honor. And here's the biblical truth. Biblical truth is not determined by one's education. 
experience, ethics, or ethnicity, y'all. That's a Hawaiian guy saying that. <laughs> Biblical truth is found in those who are filled with the Lord Jesus. So I urge you, don't check out because I'm the youth guy. Check in because the Spirit of Christ is evident. And he has something to say through the proclamation of his word. Therefore, let's continue with the first example that Paul conveys to Pastor Timothy about what Christians should be known for. First, believers should be known for what they say. Look at verse 12. Paul exhorts Timothy to set an example. In other words, Timothy, you lead by example. You set the tone, brother. You model what it looks like to be a Christian. And you do that based on what you say. Verse 11 and 12 gives us this connection. Timothy is, not to, Timothy is to use his mouth to project his words. The Bible gives us an imperative here, which is a command. Paul commands Timothy to use his mouth and his words to teach. To teach his congregation how to follow Christ. And now let me remind you here, verse 11, verse 12, it says, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in what, everybody? Speech. The Bible describes what Timothy should say. This is what his speech should articulate. Verse 13, it says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. You may say, Brother Zeke, that's the job of the pastor. Negative. Paul tells Timothy to set the believers an example. What does that mean? To set an example is for the purpose of it to be reproduced in someone else's life. Like Paul to Timothy, Timothy to the church of Ephesus. This means all believers are called to the devotion of public reading of Scripture. To exhort, encourage, rebuke, rebuke, rebuke. I heard you guys know that. And we do this as a teaching opportunity. And so here's a question. How long should we devote our lives to the public reading and teaching of God's Word? Paul uses this Christological and eschatological term here to answer the very question. He says, until I come. Amen. These are exactly the words of Jesus Christ himself. In all four Gospels and in the book of Acts, Jesus commands his disciples to preach the good news until he returns. Let's focus specifically on Jesus' word in the Great Commission of Matthew. Matthew's gospel account says this in Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Listen to verse 20. Teaching them. Matters what you say. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And look at it. Here's the eschatological right, promise here. And behold. I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank the Lord that God is with this rascal Hawaiian up here. Not just at the point of salvation, but even till he returns. That's good news. This is exactly the point Paul is making. At the same time, we could argue that Paul longs to see Timothy and wants him to preach faithfully until he comes and visits Timothy which the Bible, never said, it, the Bible doesn't say it happens. It is reasonable to connect Paul's words with the heart of Christ that it matters what we say, y'all. And what we say is a life 
long journey that proclaims the message of Jesus Christ. I wanted to share a story about two couple, a couple that we love. Me and Lane has been serving in Japan for several years. We'd go up on several trips, and there's a couple up there who is originally from Virginia, but they spend 40 of their married life years in the nation of Japan, right? And they just retired a couple years ago, but this is something cool, right? While they retired, their mission wasn't over, right? And I think that we come to a point in our life that maybe we're waiting for that moment of retirement, but I want you to hear this biblical truth. While our physical vocation may end in retirement someday, our call to teach, to preach, to proclaim, to herald, and share the gospel does not end with our earthly vocation at retirement. It continues until Jesus returns. Therefore, believers, we should be known for what we say. Paul even makes this personal in reminding Timothy of the calling to shepherd God's people. Look at verse 14. It says, Timothy, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. You see, Paul, Paul reminds Timothy of his pastoral ordination and commission. And he does this to encourage the young pastor that by the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, Timothy, you have been given a specific honor. What is this honor? To set the believers an example. And here's a pastoral application for us today. Jeff, Kenny, Zach, Zeke, we have been given a specific honor as well to set these believers an example. So please, let's not screw it up. Let's finish our race the way God intends it to be. Let's devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture until Jesus returns. Amen? Secondly, Paul gives us our next example of what believers should be known for. Secondly, believers should be known for what they do. In verse 12, Paul uses the word in conduct and in love to explain the benevolent action of every believer. Starting with Timothy. Well, I think we can all agree that in conduct represents a verb or an action. Something unique is how the original language addresses the word love. Love in the noun is, is a noun in the Greek grammatica. It's a person, place, or thing. In this original language, we all know the famous word of love, which is agape or agapeo. However, the word in, as a preposition, prepositional term, takes love as an action by this mean. Meaning that Paul tells Timothy how he should conduct himself and love his congregation with words and with action. Verse 15 says this, this wise. Practice these things. What are these things? Immerse yourself in them. What is these things you're talking about, Paul, so that all may see your problem? What is this that you're talking about? The faithful preaching and teaching of the word of God. Well, I love the model of pastors serving tables, waiting tables. Let me be very, very clear. Theologically, historically, biblically, the role of the shepherd is to preach the word. That is his vocal cord. That is also his action. What should this do for us? It should make the church step up. 
It should make more than 10, 15, 20% serve in the body of Christ. Why? Because we can do more together than apart from one another. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. And here's the tension for our generation. When it comes to the word love, our generation has redefined the term love. We hear statements for those who say, man, love is love. And what that truly means is that we can do whatever we want, however we want, whenever we want. However, this is a man-centered definition of love. It does not come from God, everybody. But what comes from God, a Christian worldview, is that love paid a significant price. Love lived the life we could never live. And love gave the life we could never give. And that love is found in the person and lordship of Jesus Christ. Beloved, we don't have the permission to redefine what God has already defined. The purpose of love is to acknowledge that this world is fallen and, our enemy, and they are enemies with God. And if you are the enemy of God, if you are an enemy of God, you are on the wrong side. And if you are on the wrong side, you deserve the wrath of God. But God, hallelujah, provides a solution. And Paul tells Timothy to conduct his life in love by practicing and by immersing himself in the public reading of Scripture to exhortation, to teaching. Why? So that all may see his progress. You want people to know Jesus? Live life wide open. You want your co-workers to know Christ? Live life wide open. You want your teammate to know Christ? You want his family to know Christ? Live life wide open. Why are these children and teenagers getting saved? Because they're following models that look just like Christ. Imagine if all 300, 400 of us would go out this room and just do that. Man, revival, right? Believers should be known for what they do. The Hawaiian word... Aloha, right, is, has become to the meaning of hello and goodbye. But the Hawaiian word aloha is much deeper than greetings and farewell. The word aloha derives from two Hawaiian words. The first word is alo, which means to share, right, and ha, which is breath, all right? When you put them together, it is the breath, shared breath of life, all right? Now, the Hawaiians were a dysfunctional people before the first Christian missionaries came. They weren't like what you see today. They have an aloha spirit. No, Hawaiians were mean to one another, specifically on women and children. The men could sleep with whomever they liked, whenever they liked. That's why you had a lot of children, right, out of wedlock, out of all these things. That was their carnal way of living. But missionaries came in 1820. So, uh, Twelve couples, uh, ten couples of them, came to uh, our island where I was born and raised, the big island of Hawaii, and the Hawaiians began to look at the couple. And the missionary couples were a little different from the Hawaiian couples. The men and the women did everything together. The men loved his wife. The men served their wives. The men did everything they had to to make sure their wives were incredibly honored. When the women and the children saw this, and eventually the men saw this, they wanted what the Christian missionaries had. Therefore... By the time 1830 came, a birth 
of an awakening happened in the kingdom of Hawaii, and by the time 1850 arrived, 100% of the kingdom of Hawaii was saved in the name of Jesus. Why? Because it matters how you live your life. It wasn't just that, but Hawaiians who never had a written language now have a written language, and they become the most literate people group in the whole entire world because of the 66 books that make the Bible. Why? Because it matters how you live your life. Therefore, this word aloha, that you, when you go down and you feel what they call the aloha spirit, didn't come from the Hawaiians. It came from Christ. Listen to me. I want you, I want, I want you to lean into this reality, y'all. Love must be taught before it is experienced. But if, it's, if, if love is rightfully taught, it will be rightfully experienced. See, when, when we say aloha now in Hawaii, it's not just aloha. Aloha. No, no. If you go to a luau, you're going to hear the guy on the stage, he's going to go, aloha! <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Hey, hey, hey. This, that, that, that aloha is derived from the heart of the gospel. See, it's not just, see, we use words, eh, eh. We even say, man, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? But wars have been started with words. Can I get a witness? When we say aloha, what we're really saying is, man, we share the same breath. In Hawaii, Hawaii still kisses on the cheek. Right? The men actually do what is called a ha. They would go, nose, me and my children and my father in this room, we would always greet each other with a nose to nose and we would breathe each other. That's what the Christian missionaries brought. It meant sharing breath. Whose breath? God's breath. And this is how the Bible talks about sharing God's love. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.14, Let all that you do be done in love. The Apostle Peter says this in 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all, keep love one another, loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Jesus himself says in John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. What do you mean? Love is also an action. Beloved, believers should be known for what they do. Love is not passive. Love does not call evil good. Love does not make people feel better about their sins. Love tells the truth. And the truth sets people free. Let's look at our final example. Number three, believers should be known for what they believe. Look at verse 12 again. It says, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, and in faith and purity. The word faith is the word pistis in the Greek language. The strong concordance describes this faith in a few ways. First, faith is always a gift from God and never something that can be produced by people. In short, for the believer, it is God's divine persuasion on themselves and therefore distinct from human effort or confidence, yet involving God-like confidence. The Lord continuously births faith in the yielded believer so that they can know what he prefers, the persuasion of 
his will. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 2.8 that we've been saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God. It didn't say grace was the only gift. It says faith is also the gift. Secondly, uh, faith in secular antiquity referred to a guarantee. Well, in Christian circle, it's a guarantee that when Jesus saves, he saves. Listen to me, son of God. If you're covered, you're covered. That's what faith does. Faith reminds us that and assures us that what God starts, he will finish. Lastly, faith is also collectively a whole. Of all the times God has revealed his word to us, his will, his pleasure for himself through faith, his revelation of scripture, indeed God has guaranteed all of this, right? Faith comes by what, everybody? Hearing, he guarantees that, hearing the word of Christ. This is the faith we're talking about. I think we confuse theologically the word faith and belief. Two different terms. Let me give you some uh, Greek class right now, okay? All right? Faith is pitsis. Something comes directly from God, right? Belief is, or believe is the word pizio, right? Which is the action of faith. It's how we respond to God. What is this saying? Man, God gives us the opportunity to be a part of his life. By what he does and our response to what he does. So if you've been challenging, right, with this theological notion, what is our part? It's still God's part. He's just graciously giving you an opportunity to respond to his goodness. Therefore, since faith is a gift, since faith is a guarantee, and since faith is a revelation from God, we are also responsible for giving God the praise that he is due and done. That's why I say hallelujah all the time. That's why you, come, you hear me coming in, you think I'm the crazy Hawaiian. Who let him in this church? right? Hey, hey, if we can go hard for the world before Christ, guess what we can go hard for now that we know Christ? Jesus, right? If we can go hard for the dead pig skin at a football game, go, make a touchdown, right? We can go hard for the one who created all things, Christ Jesus. That's why he says, Timothy, uh, Paul tells Timothy, keep close Watch on yourself and on your teaching. What does this mean? Paul is simply telling Timothy, hey, Timmy, don't let the leadership position get to your head. Don't become conceited, brother. Don't think you're untouchable. Don't think you're all that, right? But watch how you live your life and what you teach. In other words, you are not the professional here, Timothy. God is. And the biblical truth is this, that faith acknowledges that God is all of that and more. So biblical faith will always reproduce lives that look like Christ, but the opposite is true, that false faith will always reproduce lives that look nothing like Jesus. Therefore, the word close watch could also mean self-examination. And let me tell you something about what self-examination looks like in Scripture. Psalms 139 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Amen? Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Look how the apostle affirms that in 2 Corinthians. He says, Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves or do you not realize that about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Beloved, while Christians are free from the penalty of sin, we are affected by it every day. And the reality is that there are times in our walk when we have convinced ourselves that we have become professional Christians 
And Paul is warning Timothy not to become that person. Timothy, keep close watch on yourself and your teaching. Therefore, I warn everyone in this room that we will never arrive to the point of glorification until we see Jesus. Thanks to God, I say it again. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Because a believer should be known for what they say, what they do, and what they believe. But verse 12 gives us one more word, and that word is purity. Did you know that this word purity is only mentioned twice in the whole Bible? Specifically in the book of 1 Timothy. Timothy, Paul says this, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And the illustration here is the, the picture, word picture, I hope we can be mature in this room, it's the word picture of a chastity belt, right? And what is the purpose of a chastity belt? The purpose of a chastity belt is to make something or someone keep them undefiled and pure. Well, guess what, saints of God? Here's the biblical application. God has given us his word, our chastity belt, right? To remain pure and undefiled. Can I get a witness here, right? Psalms 119.9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure, right? By guarding it according to your word. Look at how Paul ends this challenge to Timothy in verse 16. Persist. Timothy, persist in this. For by doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is what the word of God does, guys. It makes us persistent. In other words, for persistence is faithfulness. Hallelujah. It allows us to lead by example. Here are the implications. Let me tell you what's up. Are we real people in here? Let me tell you what's up. When life is hard, be faithful. When people come and go in your life, be faithful. When you do not get that promotion, be faithful. When your children are rotting to the core, be faithful. When you don't have that coaching and prayers on your face, football team, uh -huh, be faithful. When your marriage is rocky, be faithful. When your church is going through a weird leadership transition, be faithful. When your country is rejecting God, be faithful. When you lose a lost loved one on to death, be faithful. Say it with me. Be faithful. Say it again. Be faithful. Be faithful. God has not called us to a life of just living this best life now. Alright? God has called you to die. Die to what? Die to yourself. Why is that die to yourself that you can experience? Because our faithfulness is a testimony of our almighty God. When we are faithful, people are seeing our testimony that God is good. When we are faithful, people are seeing us, not just that, oh, that's that guy that shouts out hallelujah. No, but he's really living his life the way God has called him to live. Be faithful. Be faithful. Don't let my passion scare you. It is what it is. The Bible says, when we are faithless, God is faithful. 2 Timothy. 1 Corinthians says, God is faithful through our temptation. 1 John says, God is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Deuteronomy 79 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is good and he is a faithful God. 1 Corinthians 1 9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Hebrews 10 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Right? 
Hebrews 23, 10, 23, says it, let us hold fast. But also let's see at Numbers 23, it says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will, not, will he not say, or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? The answer is what, everybody? Yes, he is faithful. And then we get the lamentation. Three, it says, the said fast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Why? They are new every morning. So new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh, Lord, great is thy faithfulness. God is faithful. God is faithful. Whatever you're going through, God is faithful. And what he's doing in this church today makes us realize that he deserves all the praise honor, and glory. He is worthy of everything. He's worthy of me leaving my culture. He's worthy of me leaving my title behind. He's worthy of me starting back on the bottom. He's worthy of me getting uncomfortable in this suit and tie. Golly, Pastor Jeff. <laughs> I know it was, it was part of the ruser, I mean, part of the agenda today, but golly, I need my Aloha shirt right now, bro. but he is worth everything. And if he's worth everything, will you do what you have to do to make people realize he's worth everything? If a parent comes up on my field and yells at Coach Z, am I willing to hear them out? For the sake of Christ. Am I willing to relinquish my attitude, my right, and my feelings for the glory of God? Are you willing to get messy because people are messy? You start preaching truth, either two things happen. People stay or they leave. Praise be to God, we've been seeing growth in this church. Why? Truth sets us free. Beloved, let me ask you the same question that I did at the message start. What are you known for? Well, whatever it is, I want you to consider what I already said, but in a different order. I want you to be known for, number one, what you believe. Belief starts with the heart. Secondly, I want you to be known for what you say. We call that confession. What you say, what you do, I mean, it lines up with what you believe, good or bad. And lastly, I want you to be known for what you do. We call this God's mission. And what I want to do is I want to address you all in two ways and we'll respond to the glory of God. If you follow Jesus, if you belong to Jesus, I want to remind you that believers should be known by what they believe, what they say, and what they do. 
We are called to lead by example. Another way of saying that, we are called to live like Christ. And if that has not been the regular rhythm of your life, beloved, I ask you to repent of your sin. I ask you to ask God to make you who you are in Christ. Relinquish everything you have and tell God this day, I'm ready even more to live, not apart from you, but you through me. So repent. Come to the altar. Stay where you are. Stand. Sing the song. In your heart, ask God to forgive you where you are if the rhythm of your life has not been Christ's life. Lastly, if you realize from the preaching of the word that none of this made sense, you're lost. The Spirit's job is to give you utterance and articulation. So I pray that you would hear me clearly, that if you are that individual, you would repent of your sins as well. You would ask God to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And that you, in your repentance, you would embrace the only message that matters, the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen?